His name is Heston Blumenthal. He spent a lifetime questioning everything in the culinary world and pushing back the boundaries of food. And now we get to join him on this adventure. My name's Jay Taylor. I've been Heston's TV producer for many years and I'm now your host as we jump inside his mind. And on today's show, break out your Barry White and squeeze into your fanciest underwear as in honour of Valentine's Day, we're talking about the food of love. Exploring the science, myths and truth behind aphrodisiacs, sexy snacks and love-inducing drinks. So without further ado, let's meet the culinary cupid himself, voted Bray's fourth sexiest chef three years in a row, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, Heston. Hello, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, darling. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Ali Bunny. <laughs> Hello, hamster cheeks, as your missus calls you. All right, badger nose. How's we we Willie James Winkle? <laughs> yes, hello James. How are you after that intro? Not so much of a wee Willie, please. <laughs> I was going to say, how did your Valentine's Day go? But clearly, on that evidence, it was a, a unique affair. Just before we came on air, I was saying to Heston, <coughs> "Do you is there a Valentine's Day in France?" And you said, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know." So, Jane, over to you, James. Well, I looked something up. Uh, very briefly and uh, came well the very immediate response from Google came that uh, the French celebrated Valentine's Day with une loterie d'amour this custom saw single people in France standing outside houses calling out for other singletons until they eventually paired off together <laughs> for male were not particularly attracted to his new suitor he would leave her <laughs> maybe that's the original <laughs> definition of D-Day desperation day <laughs> <laughs> Hello, darling. <laughs> or, or after the pub, you'd lose your consonants. That men seem to lose their consonants. They go, oi, oi. <laughs> You romantic. can tell the romance is strong on this podcast today, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all rose how you, petals. How are you guys in terms of uh, um, your levels of uh, Valentine's Day belief or romanticism? Well, it's a good question. I think that in terms of Valentine's Day itself, we've never really been big out. We're not really into it in this household. We do, you know, nice things, make a nice dinner, but it does feel like one of those sort of arbitrary dates. And add on top of that, yeah. lockdown. For us, it just feels like another day. Do you want, do you want the opposite? I've had enough of you, day. <laughs> <laughs> My darling, can I... <laughs> It's so nice to see you again after having spent 24 hours a day with you for the past three months. I mean, I, I, I yeah, you and you, James? Um, yeah, similar. We, uh, we try and make an effort, but it's, it is really difficult to muster the enthusiasm for eating together. Again. Yeah, I know. You're both hiding behind COVID at the moment. Yeah. Historically. I mean, uh, there is always, I think, blokes, or there is always an element of guilt, hence the flowers bought in the traffic jam on the way home from work from the roadside and stuff like that, you know. There is a, that's what, I don't know how, how much, I mean, I, you know, you can be sort of purist about this. It's a bit like birthdays. Every day is your birthday. Every day should be about Valentine's Day. And I suppose you can use it as a, you know, the argument that, um, you know, it was sort of developed as a, as a, as a big worldwide or certainly international um, commercial opportunity. Uh, however, a bit like birthdays, it can also be an excuse for a celebration or to do something. And, and I think we're going to cover this in, in, in this podcast. But for me, one of the things I was fascinated about, we made a TV show on um, Valentine's Day and we did some really interesting experiments. We tried to make the five couples, five or six couples, all different. There was a gay couple. There was a couple that had just had newly born and one had lost her, you know, her 
sexual drive and then there was the the, the, the there was the honeymoon period couple there was a couple where they were on and off uh, there was the older couple you know and and then the idea was through the course of the meal we we had set up 25 cameras in this restaurant we tried to bring them together with various techniques um, and the idea that a bit like Christmas I think cliches are cliches because they work so if you believe oysters you can say well oysters it was believed historically that salt uh, uh, was considered to be an aphrodisiac so the, um, the texture of oysters or the level of mercury or zinc or whatever they've got in them but at the end of the day if you believe them to be sexy if you both believe them to be sexy then the chances are they will have an effect well is it? i've never asked it aphrodisiac right is the idea that it makes you feel you're up for sex or you're in love i mean or is it lust is it well, something that's supposed <clears throat> to inspire lust what is well, an aphrodisiac supposed to do so it's meant an aphrodisiac is meant to in um i suppose increase intimate openness which can lead to love and lust and love there is we we looked at this actually on the program there's um there's something called sternberg's triangle of love and um, this guy Sternberg, I don't know how long ago. He, that romantic mind. He did this triangle of this triangle of love, and if you think on the top of it, the top of the triangle was intimacy, the bottom left was I think um, passion, and the bottom right is commitment. And then you've got all these mixtures. He had several definitions of, you know, there's. So when you say love, there's love, there's lust, there's need, there's want. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a, a complex. A very complex thing, so um, you know, maybe maybe you know desire comes into it, um, the need or the want. You know, if if you if you're in love with somebody or you think you're in love with somebody, you will really want them to. You want to feel that they know that you love them, and vice versa. So it's a bit of a complex old affair, I think. I mean, I I never did that Valentine's Day very well. I remember years and years ago. Um, <laughs> Uh, my um, uh, my youngest daughter with my ex-wife had made me breakfast. I think it might be on a Sunday or something, a Sunday or Monday. Brought it up to the bedroom and there was a rose on the tray. And at the time, we were I was desperately trying to have this dish where you served like a tree where the branches were in metal and had crystallized rose petals on each branch, and and the crystallized petals had uh, flavor pairing elements with them so uh, straw um, rose and uh, lychee rose and strawberry they 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 pair really well anyway i, I couldn't find roses where pe the petals actually tasted a rose they were just bitter because they've been so um genetically modified and sprayed anyway i just woken up it was a lovely surprise i just woken up breakfast what is the first thing i do i see i see, I see the the the, the row one one head of rose on its uh, branch I just plucked the petals off and stuck them in my mouth and then joined my daughter went, Mum, Dad's eating the rose here, the rose. And I heard, the, I heard from downstairs, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> that's about right. That is exactly the reaction you should have had for that as well. That's amazing. I deserved it. I Happy deserved Valentine's it. Day. Yeah. <laughs> the single rose eating. Yeah, that's very you. I'm, I'm curious, on the visual side of things, if we're talking about, if we're twitting together the food of love... Obviously, it's always things like strawberries and chocolate. And they're sort of reds and browns. Is the visual 
does the visual cue obviously i know how important it is to eat with your eyes but does the visual cue anything did you play with that when you were looking into what foods cause romance yeah the color the color red heart roses that that's that's all connected so the color red does have a apparently it does have an effect so we just filled this menu with cliches as many cliches as we possibly could so what we did with the couples the first thing we had a spray made and the 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 crew interviewed the couples a couple of months before they started filming and we then gave them a spray which was fig and chocolate fig was cleopatra's one apparently a apparent apparently a hard historic fact one of her first sort of favorite foods and it was a symbol of um um desire or something i think and obviously chocolate's been um also you know very heavily linked to 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 to, to love and valentine's day and if you think of the bo- chocolate box we've talked before about the importance of chocolate box as a romantic gift roses if you think about cadbury's roses and so the um we had this feet and, and also there's a theory that chocolate melts in the mouth so that 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 sensual element of chocolate melting at mouth temperature and if you if you're sharing that with somebody else you're having the same shared experience of the chocolate melting also it has a bonding effect so we sent them this spray which is fig and chocolate and said every time that you can remember you have a little moment together an intimate romantic moment a nice moment spray so do it for a couple of months before to try and have that cemented before they came in for dinner so the first course was a we made these like we reduced strawberry juice with the rocket which is the centrifuge as you do um that we use it <laughs> draws the water out at low temperature so super concentrated strawberry sorbet which was in the shape of a rose petal dropped dropped in a champagne in a champagne cup and on the table was a thing of a rose um a bunch of roses with those what are they they're lanterns you know those little plants you can fill them up they're called um they look a little bit like uh, kind of large venus ve- flight they're venus things, yeah they're they? venus vase the venus vases uh, they're beautiful. So we so we filled those. I know the champagne. ones you mean. Yeah, you see them in and films where they drink out of them. Yeah. So we had we had those hanging from the rose bush, and then we poured them. They at the table they poured those into the into the rose petals into the into the champagne glass with the rose sorbet. But the rose sorbet actually was hidden inside the rose flower. So they had to discover the centre of this rose flower, which was a frozen reduced strawberry concentrate um, rose. Pop that in their champagne glass. Take their the Venus um, vase, pour the champagne, and then as they were drinking it, we then poured, uh, we'd had dry ice into the rose petal, uh, the rose bush, and then out came the smell of the fig and the chocolate. So they reconnected them with the build-up. I tell you what, those things sound amazing, but one of the things you said at the start, which struck a chord with me, is this idea of discovering things together. And if you're doing something fun and really quirky and unusual, like, like you said, oysters, I can imagine if it's the first time you tried oysters together, it's messy and silly and a bit weird, and you're sort of sharing a moment and all that stuff you said then i know there's tons of incredibly clever science and chef creativity but actually the simple fact of going through that brand new experience together would immediately make you feel more bonded because you're just having fun and and with the there was the uh, the next dish was um was a heart so it's white chocolate and do you remember when we did the goose that laid the golden egg dish for um for feast i do with a big white egg with the the jelly beans that were chickens (laughs) Kidneys. Oh yeah, chicken testicles, testicles, isn't it? Yeah, chicken yeah. testicles. 
uh, and they're white chocolate and chicken fat, which doesn't sound particularly delicious, but it worked really well, so, and you still had a crust. So we did the same thing with a heart, and then sprayed it with, it was basically beetroot red colouring, flocked it. You know, remember how much I loved a bit of flocking. It's when you, you love a when good you freeze, <laughs> you spray. So it gets this suede covering. So it was like a suede heart on a plate. Inside the plate was scallops and um, basically scallops and sea vegetables with a bit of vinaigrette. Ooh. Ooh, lovely. And then we made a velouté of, of shellfish and, and oysters and poured it over the heart. So you melt, they, they poured it over each other's heart. So they melt, oh. I'm melting your heart. So that oh. was a sort of the metaphor for that. And then in this in the beautiful sort of oyster shell, um, we, made, we made a pearl, but it was actually a caviar and squid ink sorbet that we also did for feast. Remember cool. that Fair one? Enough. The most yeah. expensive sorbet. And we, we made it into a sphere, covered it in, in, a, in the velouté gelled, made it, dusted it in this, um, you know, that sort of um, metallic, edible metallic Dusting, so it went like a pearl, and then served that in the oyster shell. So then they would use the oyster shell and then feed each other with the oyster. Oh. So, so when you're actually feed, when you're sharing and feeding each other, that was really interesting. And I and on the in the process for these aphrodisiac thing, we were, I remember seeing a historian, and she said it used to be going back to the sort of 18th century or something. It used to be the things like a, there was a, asparagus and uh, vegetables like peas and chickpeas. Vegetables that were <laughs> vegetables that gave you gas. It was thought of that that gas would be like blowing up a balloon, and it would help <laughs> blow up um, a, particular, a particular. A <laughs> particular, yes, exactly. So you ate food that was gas that produced gas, and that was considered another another sexual sort of turn on. And also, you also you ate um, something else that you and I know only too well. This is going to sound really wrong. Testicles. We've, uh. we've cooked testicles before. So if you eat, if you eat private parts of animals, um, and actually for a quite long period in time in bodybuilding, people were taking raw gland tablets. And I think they actually would feed the feed the testicles. So eating testicles would help. You know, but it was your would help everything. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? In I wonder how much aphrodisiacs change by culture as well, because you'd sort of see there was a bit of fo- you know, science in it if everyone had it the same around the world. But if in yeah. China they're eating Brussels sprouts to get themselves in the groove, I, 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 that's a good question. I, I don't know. Any, 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 anyone listening from a completely different culture that knows anything about some very unusual, uh, unusual um, historical. Um, aphrodisiacs I'd, I'd love I'd love to know now I'm just going to jump in here briefly because as we are talking about valentines and the language of love I think all of us gentlemen out there might agree that probably during lockdown we are not putting quite as much effort into our physical appearance as we should be tracksuit bottoms have become the completely standard practice for all jobs across the spectrum but there is one way that you can show your loved one and yourself that you still care about your appearance and that's by having a fantastic shave and luckily one of our sponsors is here to help. They are called Harry's and in a nutshell they make fantastic razors. Without all the faff of some of the bigger brands these are really great products and I know because I've used one. They're excellent. You get a really nice presentation box in which is a big fat five blade razor with a huge really easy to use handle and some lovely smelling shave gel and it does make shaving a bit of a joy and especially during the times we're in it means you can make that extra bit of effort. 
And the great news is Harry's have given us a special offer on a trial pack that allows you to take advantage of this. You can start your subscription with a trial set which includes a weighted ergonomic handle, which I've told you about is really good, their new five-blade razor cartridge featuring their sharpest blades yet and a lubricating strip and trimmer blade... There's a rich lathering shave gel made with soothing aloe, which does smell fantastic. And there's a travel blade cover to protect your blades on the move whenever we actually get to do that kind of thing again. And for a limited time only, if you go to directtoharrys.com, you'll also receive a free travel-sized shower gel, which I imagine is going to smell just as good as the shaving foam. And all of this is worth £14.50 but you'll just pay £4.95. So to get the comfortable shave that you deserve, all you need to do is head to harrys.com forward slash Heston to claim a trial set for just £4.95 plus a free shower gel, and you'll also be supporting our podcast along the way by doing it. So to make that extra special Valentine's effort for your loved one and for yourself, head to harrys.com forward slash Heston today. Right, back to the food of love. For me, sea urchins... Yeah, the, the, they're called tongues. They're the orange bits of the sea They are so bad. I, I hate those them. things. You hate them, don't you? you Whenever you give me those, they are disgusting. Oh, and I, I know there's no disgusting, but there is disgusting in that. That's such a chefy <laughs> thing. As like someone in TV watching a film, like one of those French films, which doesn't make any sense. Because you've gone so far through cooking, you've come out the other side again. Oh, that! Uh, how can it possibly... You're saying I've you love that. It'll get you in the mood, that. Yeah, the, t- the texture. It didn't mean it's like... <laughs> I, I was going to say your your poor wife, but then I can't talk. <laughs> so these th- these sea urchin things—they don't even look appetising, do they? Well, they're bright orange. Okay, that's quite cool. They look like tongues. They look like yeah, they look like t- which I suppose you could because that sort of slightly phallic um, metaphorical stuff. All those things we made yeah. in those Roman feasts—they were all to look like willies, weren't they? It was a big like wedding. Apparently, wedding cakes, right? Supposed to look oh, well, like a willie. What was the one we did? The ejaculating cake, which came from—I mean, which came from the first big Roman cook, Apicius, and it was a—it was there was some god with a really massive member yeah, yes. standing there. I mean, we saw the drawing, and it was on a bowl of fruit. What was his name? Be, oh, I can't remember God, his name now. We James made a, do you remember we made out. a statue of it to go we on the dining table? And then we went to the set design department a year later and it was standing outside this this industrial unit in, in Brixton. Yeah, with a, yes, like it was almost like, I mean, it, it, it was like almost, <laughs> his, his, his penis wasn't far off the same height as him. Yeah, it was, it was, when it it was, was that splendid. big. And then there were these custard tarts or something. There was some pies, the old recipe, that had saffron custard. That was the, the old Apicius recipe. So we made, remember, we, we made a chocolate sphere hollow with a tube. So imagine those old, I don't know, they're, they're, it could be a form of somewhere between a steel or a part of a train. It was like a, you know, a, a, you had a sphere with, a, with, a, with, a, um, with like a chimney coming out of the top of it. And yep. then we put dry ice and some other stuff in the middle. And then we covered it in a mousse and covered it in something else. And so it looked like a volcano. You pour the liquid and it basically is meant to be ejacula- ejaculated. But it actually really looked like um, you had a lo- just, just bubbles, lots of bubbles coming out of the top. Yeah. It was a nightmare to do. Uh, we it did was that a for nightmare the dis- to do, <laughs> that was. That was a we, nightmare. We almost You and Jockey, who was your, your head of the development kitchen at the time, what a time you had trying to make an ejaculating cake. Uh, we, you know, we tried to serve it. We tried to serve <laughs> it actually in the restaurant because it was that good when it worked. 
But it was like, when you get seven out of 10 working, it's not good enough because then they go, hey, voila, and nothing <laughs> happens. The poor front of house staff I just want to run away. So we, we tried it and after two days took it off the menu. It was too it was just too problematic. James has been giggling throughout this whole thing, by the way, as well, because I can tell just on his face he's thinking, There's no way we're ever gonna get this podcast out for under eighteens, are we? That's it. I mean it's just in that, in that single conversation we just had then, we've used more penises and ejaculations than you probably ever could on Channel Four. Well there's <laughs> Well I've just been I've just been look, I can tell you you find some interesting web pages when you start Googling a pissiest penis cake. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find any aphrodisiacs abroad? Not yet. I'll be looking for. I'll be looking for Have ejaculating looking, Roman cakes. <coughs> yeah, ejaculating cake. <laughs> a, a piscious ejaculating cake. You should. Um, it might come up. So just. Uh, <laughs> so to speak. What we, uh, that was. A, 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 I wish I could. I wish I could actually make an intentional claim to that we missed a, you and I with puns but this should have been I'll put a trombone oh, on this it's fine we should have got up to speed on that so when you were doing the Valentine's uh, exploration yeah. did, did you find any science that backed up this idea of of causing sort of arousal and sexual feelings in people through food. Did you do it? Did you yeah, find well, any science to back it up? We did three or four very interesting experiments. So we had a good, very good friend of mine, Professor Francis McGlone, who you know. Who, I do. It's fantastic. Who, who we've been working with for years who, who specializes in touch. He's brilliant. So he was one of the advisors and another guy called Robin Dunbar, who's an evolutionary psychologist, probably the most famous in the world. He's got something called the Dunbar Index, where he said we only used, used to be that we could only a maximum of 50 close, 50, a, net, a network group of 50 people. Then it moved to 150 and now it's growing. So the Dunbar Index is the worldwide index for this. Also, very interestingly, and James can look this up, Robin told me, to, this, this is connected to, I'm saying this because it's connected to sex. We had a lunch break and he's, they just discovered something very interesting. James, because I can't remember which two fingers it is. Mm. If you look up, yep. it's the difference in length between your index finger and either the forefinger or the finger next to it will determine on how promiscuous you are as a man or woman. And the reason being is to do with levels of testosterone. Um, and there's loads of research on this. And he told me they've, he was, they've just discovered, J James will actually tell you. Says it's just one of I'm just looking up. I'm just trying to skim through. Yes, I'm trying to get to the, the nub. Yeah, I hope it's not the second finger because that's significantly longer. So no, you're saying it's probably it's the wedding finger, the wedding finger and the index finger, right? It's not set in stone, obviously. It doesn't mean that everyone, <laughs> ev this is for everyone. But Science there's fact. a much higher chance a much higher chance that you will be be promiscuous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it's a, 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 immediately I found that apparently in, in this study in 2012, which was mainly looking towards aggressive behaviour in men, which I guess maybe sexual promiscuity might be sort of part of all of that. So let me look a bit deeper. It said that found that men with a lower second digit to fourth digit ratio uh, it wasn't that one that's that's <clears throat> there's a different one i'm more likely to be have an aggressive dominating no, this personality is, this, no. so let me all right we'll leave Dave, james can delve into that what were you you so what so on on that going back to this um back, back to this meal we then what with the, the work that we did so robin and we also had a magician chris cox who's amazing who we've been working with for a long, a illusionist um, magician who and hypnotist you know, as well, isn't he? He does that all and hypnotist and the power of you know um, nudging or distraction or you know th that's really what magic and illusion is really about. It's about distraction and 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 
focus of attention. So again, with the interviews we did with the couples, um, on somewhere in their meal on the table, they put little objects. So the, the older couple had gone to America. They'd had a wonderful, lovely dinner at the, some place called the Two Corns or something. And on the table were two corns, like cob, corn cobs in metal. So they came up somewhere in the meal. We then we did a couple of experiments, very interesting ones. One was the, the pain-pleasure one. Um, we, one is called the water presser test and so the um, health and safety had to have a um, an ambulance um, guy there just in case oh good and had a fish tank full of ice cold water so you put your hand in the tank it gets very very cold and painful for a good couple of minutes then you take your hand out of the take your hand out of the the tank and as the pain starts to go this is exactly why it we are we can we love chili so much it's not this is the pain pleasure it's not so much the uh, the addiction or the want to the pain it is that final it's that moment you go to a point because everyone's pain thresholds are different if you eat a, a, chi, a, a, a curry for example some people can actually do hotter uh, curries than others the pleasure comes when you go on sort of oh missus I've overdone it here. You know, my, my glasses start sweating. Yeah. And, and, and you think, oh my God, this is burning. This is, why would anyone like this? Then there's a moment when it just drops below the unbearable to bearable. And when pain is produced, the body produces endorphins, which are natural painkillers. Which is why if you eat too quickly, the quicker you eat, the more you eat before you feel full. But your feeling of fullness is delayed because of the, the, the endorphins that are released to combat so so the pain you know when you when you feel really over you've over overeaten it's a form of pain but the endorphins deaden they deaden the pain so they it's like taking it's like taking a um, neurofin or something so you can eat more if you eat faster so this this feeling of this rush of when the pain goes the endorphins you get the endorphins and then you get this pleasure pain mix that's why they're so close together and that and that happens in chili it happens in in um it's, it's why um, shared pain as well, and we did an experiment here. So I did, I did that, and I tasted immediately afterwards things that were salt and sweet and sour and bitter, and tasted them before. And I had a heightened, um, a heightened awareness of those tastes because because of the release from fear and the the and, and, and it was almost like working for reward. Wow. And then we did another one where, you know, they always say that if people have served in the army together and that maybe they've gone through some pretty horrendous moments, if they've gone through together, they'll form bonds that are so strong. They're, they're so powerfully strong. So we, again, with Francis, we got four people in a room and just gave them, gave them strawberries. And there's a, there's a form, universities have forms for everything, of a bonding form. So you just, you, you rates, I don't know if it's naught to 10 or whatever. There's questions about how you connect to four people sat at a table. No one had seen each other before, didn't know each other's names. And they ate some strawberries and they chatted for five minutes or 10 minutes. And we watched them on the screen. They filled the form in before and after and there wasn't really any, any difference. And their conversation was functional. So what do you do then? You know, how old are you or where are you from or whatever? Then we did the same thing with four people where we chocolate-covered strawberries that we put very hot bits of chili in. Nice. Which it kicked in and they were in pain. And then one of the guys just didn't want any more. So they were, they were trying to get him to have some more. Not, not in a way that was 
Oh, come on, you worse. Come on. It was like, we're with you. We're with you on this. And so he had some more. And their conversation, it was really visible. Their conversation became much more personal after the pain. So after the pain, they've shared the pain. So what we did, we based this course on Adam and Eve, um, you know, the poison apple and the snake. So we had a tree and we made a, an apple, but it was a riette of pigeon, but with quite a lot of chili. And we tried to make it as hot as possible without really doing them damage with a, a red pepper and chili coating. It looked just like a red apple. Hang it from a tree on a bit of, on a, like a, you know, a bonsai box. Then I'm thinking, Heston, careful, why did I do this? I had a fear <laughs> of snakes growing up. So we put a live snake and I had to put a live snake on each one of these, the base of the tree. So on the table. Oh my word. Came the live snake with the, with the, so they, you could see some of them were shoving their chairs back. These snakes weren't. Uh, but they had a trainer, a snake trainer and everything. Still, there's something about the look of them, isn't there? You don't expect oh, it on the dinner table. Oh, my word. And then so they shared this um, this apple and, and it was pain, pain. And they got a snake on the table. And then we followed the dish up with a pigeon breast, which was absolutely covered in flower petals of like colours of a rainbow. It was beautiful. And then there was pom puree with black truffle. And, you know, so it was that, that pleasure pain. And the last thing we did actually before this course we did a test with um, actually the two other experiments. One was pheromones, so this idea that you know we sniff out our uh, our partners, but we when it's not vis- it's it's not um, noticeable odor. Pheromones are things we can't smell. But the current theory is actually when we kiss, the amount of proteins over thousands of proteins in our saliva. So when you kiss, you exchange so saliva. So your subconscious, your body is basically testing the immune system of your partner to see if you have a child, if it's actually going to be safe enough. Is it because because the genes that control your taste and flavor perception are so linked to your immune system? Hence, COVID comes along, hits some of these, and you lose your sense of smell. So this, this, this connection between taste, flavor, and immune system is so, so powerful. And it makes sense because after breathing, drinking, we have to eat and then sleep before we can get on with, with anything else. So our relationship with food is fundamental to our immune system, not just what we eat, but our, how we feel and our relationship with it, which is what this Valentine's meal was designed really to do through, through the meal. So then we, we decided to take... A, um, did, I don't know if you ever heard there was an experiment years ago where they took, well, maybe 20 years ago, mums, they, they put, showed, put children, stuck them in a the cinema and showed them a scary film, but for their age. And then they mixed the T-shirts up. And then the mums were asked to pick out the cheap T-shirts of their children and most of them could smell the fear on their children. This is why you know, females over, over evolution have developed a more, much more heightened sense of smell than um, the men, you know, as a protective mechanism. So what we did was we took a, a um, we took a piece of clothing from each of the diners and we took it to a lab, and they and they, they extracted the aroma compounds from that piece of clothing, and then we imbibed the napkins um, of the guests with their smells, their partner's smell, and blimmin' hell, it worked. 
That's we just really had to make sure that. that we didn't mix up the napkins before they went to the table. <laughs> but that's but that's very <laughs> curious because I was going to ask you about the smell side of things because I was thinking. I know you said about the um, the fig and chocolate smell at the start, which would be a shared smell. But obviously, the smell that a man would find attractive from his wife and vice versa would be very different to each other. And I was curious how, to know how you were going to get around that because smell is so powerful and evocative. But if you get it wrong, I believe we're predisposed to very strongly dislike certain smells on other people if they're not sort of genetically yeah, aligned th- with us. These are also smells that you can't. That the, it's like inaudible sound. There are things that everything makes a sound, a noise, just whether we can hear it or not. I mean, light makes a noise, but we just can't hear it. So the same thing with smell. Um, but we can smell. We can. There's there's conscious and subconscious smell as well. And and the, apparently Casanova, one of his one of his um, his uh, little secret weapons was to wipe his his handkerchief uh, under his armpits and his nether regions, <laughs> and that helped. <laughs> that helped attract uh, attract uh, his female prey um and also another one robin told me robin um said to me that if you think about greek dancing they pull they put the napkin and they they just under their armpits and then wave it around so there, there's you know a lot of these things have been sort of you know come up again and again in um in history very animalistic almost when you talk about it like this isn't it it feels very much you know sort of of a of a kind of species that you would study rather than the humans yeah this is this is hardwired stuff and, and the sound it's like if you i suppose if you if you have if you i don't know if you kiss somebody and it's a softer kiss it'll make more of a that's not very good uh, impression impersonation of a kissing sound. I don't think I need to go to kissing school. I'm just going to pause here briefly because I know a lot of you guys out there run your own small businesses and medium-sized businesses, and the, we've had a sponsor come along to us who we think you'd be really interested in hearing about. They're called LinkedIn Talent Solutions. Yes, that's right, LinkedIn, the place that everyone who's in business is already on. Well, they've got a, a part of their business now called Talent Solutions, and the great thing about this is they are here to help small businesses to grow. So whether you're shifting business or hiring more remote employees, it's really, really important to get the right people on the team. And the great thing about LinkedIn jobs is they can help match your role with qualified candidates so you can find the right person quickly. And great thing is through this podcast, they have a special offer, which is giving you your first job post for free. Now, this is a massive platform. They have more than 30 million members in the UK, and it's really easy to get started. And their new features help you find job candidates really quickly. Basically, you post a job with targeted screening questions and what they'll do is they'll quickly use those targeted screening questions to allow you to get the right candidates put in front of you. You can manage all your job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar linkedin.com website that we all recognise and the functions are streamlined into one simple screen. And, even better, you can now do it for your mobile device no matter what time of the day it takes you to post an advert. So, whenever you're ready to make your next hire and find the right person, we suggest you use LinkedIn Jobs. And now you can post your job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash Heston. That's linkedin.com slash Heston and post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, back to Valentine's Day. So we, we had some uh, professor in the, uh, was it UCL or Imperial College and had a, late, a woman one side of a screen and then, and, then, and then four or five other people the other side of the screen. And this woman was, we tried different sounds. So she was licking a lolly, crunching an apple, uh, scraping a fork on a plate. 
Oh, slurping, like the end of a milkshake. People hated that, really hated that, that sound for some reason. The apple crunch wasn't too pleasurable. The noise of the oil in the deep fat fryer was very pleasurable. And the thing that really worked was popping candy. When she put popping candy in her mouth and then opened it, was her opening her mouth. That had a really positive effect. And the guy was measuring the frequency of the sounds. And he said, when sounds have a high frequency that has no, doesn't really have a wave to it, so this is just a high, sh a high frequency. We don't like it because from an evolutionary point of view, it normally signifies something dangerous is, is, is lurking or is jumping out at us or something like that. So with the popping candy, there's a, there's a rhythm. It's almost like you think about the crackle of a fire. Yeah. And you could almost argue that this sort of stuff cause mm. is, is, would have influenced the early days of music. So we served like the ejaculating cake. We did a fig. looked just like a fig, but we, it, was a, it, was, it was a mousse, and inside was a grapefruit seeds, bits of chocolate, fig puree, and then they, they poured that at the table. And then they finished off with the fig and chocolate again at the end of the, um, at the, end of the meal. Did it work? Did it work for them? Did, oh, what massive, feedback massively. You get? We, we, we all watched on, on the screen and you could see them change over the course of... It worked massively with all of them in, in, di in different ways. Um, and, and again, we measured with this um, Sternberg's triangle, triangle theory of love on intimacy, passion and commitment. And the, the, there was one guy that didn't want to commit to his missus. They were on and off. And it increases commitment by about 30%, I think, in, in their ratings afterwards. It, it really... It, 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 does, it does work. So, you know, is there a recipe for love that, like, you know, I'm going to do chocolate-covered strawberries? No, but if you build the story around it and you do lots of little other things around it, yes, you can food be used as sharing food together in a specific environment at a certain time. Can it bring people together intimately? Without a shadow of a doubt, it can. That's fantastic. And I know, I know what I'll be serving next Valentine's Day, which is Vindaloo. Snake. Vindaloo with side order of snake and rub some napkins <laughs> under my armpit. Here we you are. Start playing your, playing your flute and getting your, get, empty your washing basket. Get, put, get the cobra. Not a, you just stick a cobra beer in there instead and then try and flute that, that one. Right, right, darling. This is an excuse for us all to go to the curry house. While you've been doing that, I've been trying to get some, some, some sort of clarity on this uh, the finger length. So, so that anyone's yes. now, like I've been doing, studying my own hands yes. furiously now. Um, I think now, this is, see if this chimes with what you, you, you think, but it's, it's linked to the levels of a male hormone called androgen, which is, is um, created obviously in the womb as, as these hormones are flooding around. It has certain sort of side effects and factors, and one of those is to, to adjust the length and, and ratio of our fingers as, a, as, a, as part of what, what, it, what it does in the body. And obviously more androgen in, in the body is linked to higher competitive, aggressive, you know, intersexual sort of behaviour in men. And so apparently this having a high level of androgen can cause two things to your fingers it makes your let's get this right uh, a short forefinger and a longer ring finger so if you have a, a big difference between those two fingers then that indicates a higher level of androgen in your system which obviously is more predominantly sort of towards 
promiscuous behaviour, I guess. Well, that's great. Yeah, I've, I've, found, I've, I've found it here, actually. It was Robin Dunbar. That's why he told me, because he, he was the person that did it. I'm glad this show's going out after Valentine's Day. Otherwise, everyone will be studying their hands over their vindaloos and going, oh, well, you're going to be cheating on me soon. I'm out of here. This is, this is not the kind of science we want to be bringing to the language of love, is it? <laughs> Are you promiscuous or faithful? Measure your index finger. Basically, I'll read from the Daily Mail, because it's just an easier way of... of, of <laughs> Saying it, uh, how our hands could predict infidelity. People whose ring and index fingers are the same length are more likely to be faithful. Exposure to high levels of hormone in womb has effect on finger length. Researchers say exposure to testosterone could lead to longer finger ring finger. It cannot predict individual behaviour, but could help identify promiscuity. So forget witty chat-up lines or a perfect physique. The key to finding your ideal partner is in their hands. Those whose ring fingers and index fingers are the same length are more likely to be faithful lovers, research suggests. That was actually Robin Dunbar, um, who I think had just done the research. That's why I, rem- that's why I remember it. So if, you're ring f- if you're out there listening to this and your ring finger is significantly longer than your index finger, yeah. I would make sure you make extra attention on making the food that we've talked about in this to get as much romance uh, as you can. Go to town on Valentine's <laughs> Day, guys. Because <laughs> you're going to need yeah. to. Cause or, but it's actually for or men. sit on your hands. Yes, yes. <laughs> Not let them see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those break, gloves, break them and get them plastered and, I, <laughs> and ask your other half. Because I think apparently it applies to men and women. Ask your other half to do the cooking. <laughs> So on that romantic note, somehow we've still managed to drag this right back down to the gutter. Sorry, I was just, I was trying to find the, the name of the gods. Yes. Dessert most spectacular was an ejaculating cake. It was, this is quite a common party trick in ancient Roman times where in homage to Priapus, Priapus. Priapus. Yeah, I've just seen it. Priapus. The god of fertility. Of Desserts would be jigged up to explode on eating. On that note, exploding <laughs> ejaculating cakes the length of your uh, ring finger showing how promiscuous you're going to be and very hot curries. I think we should call it a day or not. Romance I think we've got quite a lot of content, content there, haven't we? <laughs> I'm not sure any of it's going to be... Priapus, by the way, was expelled from Mount Olympus because of his grotesque penis. <laughs> no! <laughs> it didn't just... It didn't just... Happy oh, Valentine's brilliant. Day, everybody. <laughs> oh, happy Valentine's Day, darling, sweetheart. Get out. It's, it sounds like D-Day again. We've come back to where we started. <laughs> Thank you, Heston. Thank you, James. Until next week, we appreciate you listening. Please do subscribe wherever you happen to get your podcasts and do get in touch at Heston's Podcast on Instagram or Heston's Podcast at gmail.com. But for now, with a very curious take on the language of love, Heston, thank you ever so much. <laughs> That's an absolute heart-laden pleasure.